we uh, kicked off a series walking through uh, the, the book of Exodus the first week in February. That was a while ago. We spent all of February and March, much of April, and then in and out since then, uh, walking through the book, mainly through the first half, because the second half was uh, kind of around the, the tabernacle, and we did an in-depth study one weekend in, in March on that, so uh, I kind of stayed away from that purposefully uh, as we worked our way uh, through the book of Exodus until this morning. This morning we're going to conclude the book, we're going to finish it up, hopefully put a, a bow on it, and, and uh, finish our time in the, uh, in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 40 this morning as we conclude our uh, walk through Exodus, through the book of Exodus. Um, and, and hopefully what you're going to see is this, that, that uh, God in this book, in the book of Exodus, uh, God draws us in to draw us out. He draws the nation of Israel out of, uh, or draws us out to draw us in, excuse me. He draws the nation of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage, out of, of the, uh, of, uh, uh, under the hand or the, the thumb of Pharaoh and into his worship. Into worship of the sovereign God, the sovereign king, into, into the promised land. So he takes the nation of Israel and in the books of, of Exodus, he draws them out to draw them in, and he does the exact same thing with us, those that know Christ. He draws us out of bondage. He draws us out of uh, sin. He draws us out of slavery to sin and draws us into worship, into salvation, into a relationship with him. And so all throughout the book of Exodus, there's this picture that's being painted of drawing out to draw in. And I hope it becomes clear this morning as we walk through the last uh, few verses in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 40 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me set up what's going on in, in, in this, in this uh, text, or actually right before it. And then we're going to look at four things uh, that the tabernacle teaches us about God. Uh, here's what's going on. Uh, in, in Earlier in the book of Exodus, um, God has come to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to um, build a tabernacle. Where I can dwell, uh, in my presence can dwell among my people, among the nation of Israel. And so I want you to build this tabernacle. And he gives them very specific directions. And, and, and on the screen you can kind of see a, a picture of what that looked like. God gave, right there in the middle is the tabernacle. It was uh, right in the center of the nation of Israel. And that's exactly how God uh, told, uh, or where God told Moses to build it. And he gave specific instructions. You can see there's a fence all the way around the outside of the tabernacle. And then in the middle of that is a, a tent. Uh, another, uh, it's actually a, a, a rectangle as well. And in that rectangle, or in that, that tent right there, there are two rooms. In the front room is the holy place. That's where, like, uh, the basin, different things for worship, uh, different things to uh, uh, ceremonially uh, become clean, be, be ceremonially clean, uh, is, is, is located in the front room. But in the back room, where you see that pillar of fire, is the center of the tabernacle. It's the heart of the tabernacle. It's the holy of holies, where the spirit of God dwells. And, and this is the directions. These are the directions that Moses was given. And uh, uh, Moses sets out to build it. And just as we're uh, picking up the story at the end of verse 33, this tabernacle has just been finished being built. Uh, the directions have been followed. And Moses has just put the finishing touches on the tabernacle 
When we pick up the story in verse 33, verse 33, Moses, the end of the verse, says this. So Moses finished the work of building the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day was taken up. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and a fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. We're going to see four things about the nature or the character of God in these, in these passages, in these verses. The first one is this. The first thing that we see about God is this. God is eager. God is eager. Look at the first two verses uh, that we read, 33 and 34. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When you read this in the original text, you see a swiftness of God moving. You see God moving very, very quickly. He is looking forward to, he's longing, he is uh, eager to dwell among his people, among the nation of Israel. If, if you read this in the original text, it reads almost like this. So Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There is an eagerness here. There's a swiftness of God's movement to fill the tabernacle, to dwell among his people. Contrast this with how many of us think about God most of the time. That he just kind of puts up with us. Uh, he's, he's, he keeps us at arm's length because he just kind of puts up with us. He's not happy uh, about the way that we're acting. He's not happy about who we are. He just puts up with us. And, and, and the Bible paints a completely different picture. Uh, it, it, Use your imagination, not imagining anything uh, that's not here, but use your imagination uh, of what's being taught in the text. I can almost picture in my mind's eye that, that Moses has written down all the directions that God gave him to build the tabernacle. And he's working him, him, himself down this checklist. Okay, build the, the, the fence around uh, the, the tabernacle. And he builds the fence around the tabernacle. And then he moves into the, the, the uh, rectangle or the tent inside that has the roof. And he begins to work on that. He goes and he gets the base and he puts it in the, in the holy place. And he gets the, the Ark of the Covenant and he, he puts it right where he's supposed to. And then he's building this tent and he puts the last stitch into the tent. And he's going to take a few steps and turn around and look at all that he has built by God's directions. And before he can even turn around, God has descended. He is among his people. He is excited. He is eager to dwell among his people. God is eager. He doesn't just put up with us. If you know Christ this morning, he, he is eager to dwell among us. He's, he's eager to dwell in us. We're going to see in a few minutes. But he's also eager to dwell among us. He, he is longing to be in this room, to move among us, to work among us, to, to fill us, to sanctify us, to, to begin a work in and through this group of people called Wellspring Church. He is longing, eager to be here. God, we see in this passage, 
is eager to dwell among us. Think about the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. The, the disciples are together. They've just uh, chosen Matthias to be the 12th disciple. And what happens? The Holy Spirit descends for the very first time. The Holy Spirit descends and, and begins to do a work among those the, the, the uh, disciples. And Peter, he goes downstairs and he walks out into the, the, the city there, right onto the street there in Jerusalem. And during Pentecost, he begins to preach. And God's spirit falls. Thousands of people are at it. God's eager to do that. Beckoning people to salvation. He's eager to fall. He's eager to move. He's eager. He longs to be among, to dwell among his people. The Apostle Paul, same thing. Headed to Damascus and he shows up on the road at just the right moment, at just the right time. He's eager to dwell among his people. Not only that, we also see in this text, number two, that God is, is holy. Look at verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is a, a, a little bit contradictory. It doesn't really make sense when you read it. Why? Because Moses finishes the tabernacle. He does exactly um, uh, as, as God has has uh, uh, given him direction. He finishes the tabernacle and he descends. He falls immediately. And Moses gets excited about it. And he wants to go in and dwell in God's presence. He wants to, to enter into the tabernacle and be with God, be in, in his presence. But he is, is um, uh, restricted from doing so. Now, we don't exactly understand uh, what happened or how. If God maybe put an angel at the door. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But for, in some way... Um, Moses is restricted from coming into the presence of God. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. God is set apart and Moses was not. God was perfect. And Moses was sinful. And the Bible tells us time after time that God cannot dwell, cannot have a, a relationship with, cannot be in the presence of sin. And so... Moses is restricted from going into the tabernacle, going into the presence of God. I said this last week. Your sin and my sin is not cute to God. He, he doesn't laugh at sin. He takes it very, very serious. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in perfect harmony for all of eternity, in perfect uh, communion, um, uh, uh, submitting to the will of the other, the wills of the other for all of eternity, the Son submitting to the Father, the Father submitting to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit submitting to the Son for all of eternity, in perfect harmony and in perfect relationship until Jesus goes to the cross and that eternal Relationship is severed, broken because of your sin and mine. God takes sin very, very serious. And so Moses is stopped. He's restricted from going into the tabernacle, going into the presence of God because of his sin. God takes it very serious. 
But look at what happens. Just a few, uh, a few verses later, uh, God provides a way. Look at Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Um, God provides a way just a few short verses later. It says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the, uh, from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that, the, that he may be accepted before the Lord. And so Moses um, is restricted from going into the tabernacle, going into the presence of the Lord. But very, very quickly thereafter, God provides a way into his presence. He provides a way, and he, he institutes, or he, he, he uh, beckons to the sacrificial system. He says, bring an, an offering, bring a, an unblemished uh, animal, and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Obviously, obviously, uh, the blood of an animal, even an unblemished animal, doesn't appease a holy God. God doesn't look at the blood of an, an unblemished animal and go, okay, now you're welcome into my presence. That covers your sin. But what is God doing in, in this as he, as he sets up the sacrificial system in the Old Testament? He's pointing to the coming sacrifice of his son. Whose, whose sacrifice was wholly complete. Who was large enough, big enough, powerful enough to cover every sin for those who would believe. Past, present, and future. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he is, he is fulfilling what the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing to, was pointing to, was pointing to. And that's why Moses, when he takes the blood of a, of a lamb or of a, of a goat, an unblemished goat, and he sacrifices it, pointing to the coming sacrifice of God's son, he is welcomed into the presence of of God. God is eager to dwell among his people, but he is holy. He cannot, he will not laugh at sin, but he is providing a way through his son. Number three, the third thing that we see this morning in this passage is this. God is leading God is the one who's leading. Look at verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the Lord was not taken up, or but if the cloud was not taken up, then they would set out, or then they did not set out uh, till the day that it was taken up. The Lord's presence is not there um, to, to be a servant. He is the sovereign king of the universe. And the, the nation of Israel is following the, the leader. That is God, his presence. It's following the cloud, following the pillar of fire. They didn't have the, the prerogative to stay an extra day. If the cloud began to move, they moved. Now, throughout uh, 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 Exodus, it, it tells us that they took the long way. They went the long way, and God was protecting them as he did. But they didn't have the, the, the prerogative, they didn't have the, 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 they didn't have the standing to say, you know what, God's going to take you around the long way, but I'm just going to go uh, take the shortcut, and I'll meet you at the destination. 
They didn't have that prerogative. Why? Because they were, they were following the leader. They were following God. They were following the cloud and the pillar of fire. And when the, the cloud stopped, they would stop. They would set up a camp. And they would hang out there. They would stay there. They would worship there until the cloud began to move. And then they would pick up their tents. They would, they would pack up. And they would follow the cloud. They would follow the pillar of fire. They were following the leader. I put in my notes. They didn't, they didn't go, you know, the cloud's leading us the long way. I think I'm going to take the shortcut. Or they, they didn't say, um, I'm going I'm to hang out here until um, I, you, you get a few days ahead and then I'll catch up. Because I'm comfortable here. There's access to water here. They didn't have that prerogative. God was the leader. God was the one in charge. He did not come with white gloves on to be your servant. When God showed up, he is the one who leads. He's the sovereign king of the universe. Lastly, number, number four, number eight, uh, verse 38, we see God is faithful. God is faithful. For the cloud, verse 38, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the visible presence of God. It's the visible presence of God leading them. Now when I, when I read this I, and I think, okay, the nation of Israel, they just follow the cloud. And they, they follow the, the, the pillar of fire. And they just went the direction that the pillar of fire went or the cloud took them. I, I, I sometimes think, man, that would be easy. Like that would be easy. When I was trying to figure out, okay, do I go to college? Okay, yes, I'm going to go to college. Where do I go to college? If I could have just followed the cloud, that would have been easy. Like, follow it to Bowie Street, North Carolina, where Campbell University is. That's where you want me to go. That's your, that's your desire for my life. Or, or, or uh, where should I work? Well, that's an easy one. Just follow, follow the pillar of fire. Wherever it, it stops, that's, you know, whatever's underneath it, that's where you're supposed to work. That's what you're supposed to do. When I worked with teenagers, they would regularly go... Scott, how do, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry? If I could have just said, follow the cloud. Like, that would have been easy. Follow the cloud. Whoever, wherever the cloud stops, that's where you know. That's, that's where he wants you to be. That's who he wants you to marry. That would have been easy. But then I step back and I think, what we have, what we have is altogether better. Altogether more powerful. Look at what the New Testament says about our reality, if you know Christ this morning. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, whoever knows Christ, whoever has, has put Christ on the throne of their life, I'm going I'm to listen, I'm going to obey, I'm going to do uh, what, what um, um, you tell me. And when I fail, when I come up short, I'm going to rest in your grace. Whoever has done that, whoever's confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, look at what it says after that. Here's your reality this morning. God, sorry, back to the other one. God abides in him and he in God. This morning, if you know Christ, he's not just inviting you to follow a cloud, to follow a pillar of fire. He's taking that pillar of fire and he's placing it inside of you. It's dwelling inside of you. 
The presence, the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you if you know Christ. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. Do you not know that you are a God's temple where God dwells? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells inside of you? If you know Christ this morning, you're not being asked to follow a pillar of fire at night and cloud by day. God is taking His Spirit and placing His Spirit inside of you. Molding you, making you, creating you, sanctifying you into the image of His Son. Leading you on the path that He has set out for your life. That is altogether better. That is altogether more powerful. This morning, you know Christ? He is eager to dwell inside of you and among you, among us, this morning. He wants to be here among us, move in a powerful, special way. We know his word says he's, he's present everywhere, all the time. But he wants to do a work among us in a special, powerful way. He's eager to do his work. He's eager to work among us. He's eager to dwell among us. But he's holy. He will not allow sin into his presence. He cannot allow sin into his presence. So he makes a way. He sends his son. And he leads us. He is a God who leads. And in doing so, he's faithful. He's faithful, taking his Holy Spirit and, and giving the Holy Spirit to us, dwelling inside of us, molding us, making us, giving us the power to follow his commands and make us into the image of his Son. And in doing so, draws us out draw us in. Drawing us out of sin and slavery. And drawing us in to his presence. Drawing us in to the worship of his holy name. He draws us out to draw us in. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're eager you're holy, you lead us, and you're faithful to us. And for all who would believe, for all who would believe, you draw us out, you bring us out of sin and death and into relationship through the power of your Son.